Welcome back, everyone, to Deconstructing the Bible. My name is Jason Steffenhagen, the associate pastor at The Well, United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota. And we are in the midst of a season where we are reimagining, reconstructing, and sometimes even rehabilitating children's <laughs> stories from the Bible. And as has been kind of the pattern with this, we're inviting some friends and some guests and some experts and some wonderful leaders and pastors to join us as we navigate these stories and kind of hearing how they've processed this over time. And so today we are honored and blessed, that's a good Christian word, to have Pastor Stephanie Williams O'Brien joining us. So Steph, Pastor Steph, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, hashtag blessed. So good. <laughs> I'm a Minnesota gal too. I love it. So you just Minnesota from Rosemount, Minnesota. Here Rose we are. Mount. Oh, yeah. If anyone's listening to this that doesn't know about our, we we love Minnesota. Like people just don't know. Like we love it. I'm I'm like a, a true and true, tried and true Minnesota Minnesota gal. Played hockey, did all the things. Didn't spend my whole life here, but most of my life in Minnesota, and I love it. And I even love snow. That's that's an. That's when you know. I, I, I'm a part of the snow positive movement. I call it snow where, positive. That's good. Snow positive. Where you know what's the what's the quote like? You you can decide if you're going to have joy about the snow or not, but if you have joy about the snow, then you're going to have joy and a lot of snow. And if you don't, you're still going to have the same amount of snow. So just, you know, make a choice. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I, um, I lead a church called Mill City Church in the city in Minneapolis. And um, I'm a church planter. And that was almost 14 years ago when we yeah, started yeah. the church and uh, amazing, thoughtful group of people who uh, really love, love each other and love joining in what God's doing in the world. And, being a part of restoration and justice in lots of different ways. And I love it. And they're fantastic. And I feel like if you can say that after a global pandemic, then that's a good sign. Um, I still love all of them and we <laughs> we're doing great. I love um, it. Totally. Even though, I mean, it's been really challenging, but I, I would say it's been meaningful, meaningful to be a pastor during this season to me. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of other random things. I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I like to start things and, but I, but I also like, really want to finish them too so it just makes for a lot but it's really great so yeah. i'm really and into, you're an author and i'm an author yep and i'm a podcaster as well my friend joe saxton um we have a, a leadership podcast called lead stories podcast and we talk about leadership in life and yeah lots of other stuff <laughs> i love it i love it i love i've loved you know being kind of on the periphery of your ministry and seeing it and and watching what you guys are up to at Mill City had so many students that I was connected to at Bethel that were a part of Mill City staff yep. members who were connected um and and one of the things I've always loved about what you are doing at that church is that you are very invested in the community that you're in um you know whether it's helping kids with you know food uh insecurity um just different ways in which you've impacted that community um as well as helping people think critically about the Bible uh which is what we're going to be doing here today for a little bit. So let's yeah. dive in. We're going to be talking about the story of the manna from heaven. And if, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, or if it's, if you need a little refresher, uh, we're talking about Exodus chapter 16. The people have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Moses is called upon to help lead the people into the promised land or away from slavery. He comes, there's these plagues. They are they get out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and they find themselves in the wilderness. And they're going to be in the wilderness for a while. But Exodus 16 comes really shortly after they've crossed the Red Sea, and they are now in the wilderness. And so 
they're in there and they're kind of grumbling. They're getting hungry and they don't know how long they're going to be in the wilderness. They don't know where they're going. There's a lot of them. And they're looking at Moses and they're asking him, what is all this going on? So Steph, tell us a little bit about the story, Manna from Heaven, and kind of what you, when you first remember, you know, kind of hearing about it. I grew up as a pastor's kid. So it's like, when did I start hearing about this? But I, I think it was probably one of those like little kid Bibles that, um, you know, had some pictures and <laughs> talked yep. about things as simply and plainly. Um, and, you know, the, the, the manna, but also the, the quail and yep. this idea, I remember learning what a quail was, what kind of bird that was and all this, and that there was, you know, there was, God was providing miraculously for the people. Um, and I, I mean, I, I don't know that I, that I necessarily feel that there was a, something about the story that was incorrect or, or that needed to be deconstructed in a, in a deep way. It's just, it was just a really shallow story. It was like, yeah. So like they were hungry cause they didn't have, they were in the wilderness. So God gave them food when it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. These folks like got pulled out of like human trafficking right? <laughs> and yeah, they're grumbling, but like they literally say in that for, in that little sentence, like God's trying to kill us. <laughs> like they're accusing God of trying to kill them. Like God, God just rescued them miraculously parting a sea, um, causing miraculous plagues to come upon, you know, the Egyptians for their injustice. And the first thing they can say within a month of being out of actual slavery is God tried to kill us then. And now he's going to kill us now. Like you're obviously just messing with us, you know? And, and I don't remember that part. I don't remember (laughs) I just remember the people being right. like, this is really hard. And, and kind of the story being taught to me as a kid is like, when you don't feel like you have what you need, it's really hard, but God provides for you. And that yeah. I think, you know, still is like the core of the story, Yeah. but I think I've just come to see like a depth of meaning of it that, um, that I, maybe I will always find even more depth. And it's a, in my mind, this is a really, there's a lot of depth to this story and what it represents to us hmm. today and what it represents, what, what it meant then um, that I think is easily kind of miss when, when you're telling a kid, which I I think it's fine. You know, when you're talking to kids, like I always think with, with the kids at our church, like we're going to talk about it in developmentally appropriate ways. Um, and that means we'll never be done. And I kind of want to turn to the adults and say, I'm speaking to you in developmentally appropriate ways too, my friends. So (laughs) (laughs) as we grow as people, like we'll never be done, right. We'll never be done, um, wrestling with scripture and, um, you know, that, that was the ancient Jewish perspective is that you're going to wrestle with it forever. Um, and that's okay with me. I love that. I love that you were reminding us of that developmentally appropriate way of talking about this, because I think one of the tendencies in this kind of the way we're even framing this, like reconstructing or reimagining children's stories is that there's something wrong with the way that we imagine them to begin with. And sometimes it's those simple, God will provide for you when you're going through a hard time that's just a good thing to know. And it's a good thing to lean on. And sometimes that shows up in like, you know, a card from a friend. Sometimes it's someone that stops by sometimes, you know, it's, it's in a miraculous way. Some, there's just so many different ways that, that the presence of God can show up in our life. And, and that can just be a true thing that we can just say, Oh, this is a story that reminds us of that. And how cool that we learned it when we were five or six or eight, that that's the God that we are connected to. And that's the embodiment we we have of, of God is, is, and we see that in Jesus. And so, you know, with the feeding of the 5,000, you know, there's another story about bread, right? And the abundance of it. And so um, I think we want to hold on to that while also saying, okay, 
what are some of those deeper things? Because you pointed okay. out one of those, right? With why are these people who just got rescued from 400 years of slavery, who saw all these miraculous things happen, who saw the blood on the doorframe keep them from, you know, the angel of death um, during the Passover. Mm-hmm. And now they see the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea and then the subsequent crushing of the army in that same sea. And now they're in the wilderness. And a month later, they're, yeah, they're talking about this God wanting to kill them. And so I, I think a natural question as I've gotten older is, well, why would someone grumble at God? You know, and especially when I was always taught when I was young, don't ever do that, right? Like, don't, don't do grumble at God. Like, <laughs> right, right. watch out, you know, that's not a good idea. And so what are some of your thoughts on like, like how you've maybe wrestled with their grumbling in the midst of also a miraculous story and a dynamic story of, of liberation? Yeah, there's a few things I think about. Um, one of the things I'm really glad you pointed out of Jesus feeding the 5,000, but also, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that we miss a lot as kids is the way that particularly Jesus is kind of becoming like the new Adam and the new Moses and, you know, yeah. certainly feeding the 5,000 also asking, like teaching us to pray for bread for the day. Yep. Um, and then the communion, yeah. communion yeah. being this like illustration of remembering that God provides for you and that, you know, right now they're just hoping to have some bread that tastes better than nothing. And in the end, like the bread of life is Jesus' actual body being given um, yeah. and and just the power of the multifaceted um, atonement that he accomplished on the cross. So it's just like, I mean, it's deep. Like we could think deep. about that for a long time. Yeah. Like Jesus being the new Moses. I think it also gives us this really important moment. Um, one of the biggest things I think we need to deconstruct about how many of us were taught the Bible as kids is that the main character of the story is God and not the people, the other people. Mm. And, um, you know, the little kid, uh, series or whatever of like things to learn about David and heroes of the faith, Moses and da, da, da. And even just like the, the people of Israel, like Moses is a mess. He doesn't do things right. Most of the time, like, this is not the, the main point of the story is not what did like WWMD, what did Moses do? Like, that's silly. <laughs> like the, the question is like, in my mind, like the Bible is a story about God and God, God's choice to move towards humanity. And then we get to see how all these different humans try to respond to that. Yes. Mostly poorly. Yes. So, and we get to learn from that, but also be comforted by that. Because right. That's right. I love that you're saying that. I love that you said we can also kind of critically look at it, but also we can be comforted by it. Because when I imagine the grumbling, uh, you know, only a month into the wilderness, there's a part of me that, that steps back and says, okay, They've been in slavery for 400 years and they've been right. crying out for liberation and there's been silence for 400 years. Right. And so for 400 years, they didn't have any interaction with Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly they have this interaction. It's dynamic and it's huge and it's big. And they have to be asking the question like, okay, who is this again? Like, yeah. I know Moses is saying it's the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the last time we heard from that God, we we're just a little family thing that moved into this place that ended up enslaving us. So can we trust this God? Is this a good yeah. God? Right. Yeah. Like, and, and all the other gods they've seen from, from Egypt have been very different and not Yahweh and not examples. They've been oppressed by gods in a way. I mean, Pharaoh saw yeah, but, himself as a God 
And yeah, so, Baradid and, and all the all those ancient Near Eastern perspectives were gods that really were out to get them and right. mess with them and like just pawns in their little silly game. So yeah, right. wouldn't it be funny if we just like the gods, like if, if you picture these ancient ancient gods that they might have had narratives. I mean, they definitely had narratives surrounding that, you know, Moses, the, the books of Moses are trying to contrast Yahweh with these yeah. other gods. Absolutely. Like the idea that a god that's one of these gods or a group of gods would think it's funny literally funny to after 400 years to rescue these people just to mess with them in the, in the wilderness. Right. That may that's be what not God's shocking. Doing. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. not shocking. I mean, yeah. and the question, the question, like, what is this God like and what is, what are we heading towards is a massive question, let alone after 400 years, the pattern of existence is one of servitude and, and slavery, right? Like yeah. there's not a sense of autonomy there's not a sense of freedom. There's not a sense of I get to make up choices for myself. I've never been allowed to rest. Like, I don't even know what I mean. Remember, like the in the in the story of them being led into freedom, the original request was not that they just get to be let go. Can we please have one day to go worship our God in the wilderness and then we'll come back? I mean, that right. was the original request that Moses was asking Pharaoh. Can we just go worship God for a day? Have a day yeah. off, right? Yeah. And so one of the miraculous things about the story of manna and quail is that there's a new pattern and a new rhythm um, initiated, right? Or, or, or brought back, right? Because we could, we could see this six in one rhythm. So for those of you again that don't know the story, they are being given bread six days a week. And on the sixth day, they're given enough for two days. And the instruction is that you rest on that seventh day, which reminds us of the days of creation all the way back to Genesis chapter one in the first couple of verses of chapter two, where we see God creating in six days and then resting on the seventh. And God's instruction is that you're to have a Sabbath day and it's to be a holy day to rest and to remember what God has done for you and to prepare for what is coming, this journey that I'm taking you on. And that new rhythm just recalibrates in a way what it means to be human in that moment. And I think that's such a dynamic part of this story. Yeah, it says that they some of them still went out looking on the seventh day for the manna because they just didn't get it. They just didn't get like, no, God's miraculously going to provide enough for two days. First of all, the whole thing's miraculous. And it's interesting, actually, like a lot of scholars have been like, well, there was this kind of insect that made this bread like substance. I mean, there's just like a lot of like trying to explain it naturally. And there was times when quail would just fall from the sky. And I mean, one of the things I love about God is like God created the world. So if God's going to mess with the natural order the way God wants to, Fine. So sure. Was it right. maybe like a thing that happens sometimes, but God made it happen every day? Like, cool. I, I'm not, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, like the yeah, idea that yeah. it could have been partly natural and God was using the natural order that, right. that the God idea created. that God works within creation is like, yeah, yeah. totally fine. Like God created it that way. But then, but then like, it's clearly miraculous at the same time. So I, I guess I just think like these, these folks are going, wait, so either you're going to provide it for me every day. And then of course the other, the other challenge was to only take enough for the day yeah. and out of their anxiety, probably they took yeah. more than they needed. And that would turn into maggots overnight and be gross. And then, but then that sixth day they were like, Oh no, is there really going to be enough for us on the seventh day? And they go back out there looking again, just yep. this kind of frantic, you know, frantically searching for something that you never quite think you have enough. And like that question, how much money is enough money? And the answer is like, a little bit more. Like it's right. always a little bit more. That's such a scarcity mindset, right? That we don't yeah. think there's going to be enough as opposed to God who in this moment is saying there is always enough, right? Which again, if we go back to the story or go forward to the story of the feeding of the 5,000, 
There's 12 basketfuls left over. There's 12 disciples. There's 12 tribes in Israel. It's not a it's not an accident that there's 12 left over. It's a way of saying, yo, we live with an abundant God, not a God of scarcity. There's not barely enough for everybody. There's plenty if we learn to distribute, if we learn to give, if we learn to be hospitable, if we learn to recognize that our neighbor needs just yeah. as much as we do. I don't need to hoard more. There's right. a sense of like, there's plenty here. Just yeah. take what you need. Yeah, it's like those those stats, like um, if, if we just were to take the amount of money that Americans spend on ice cream, it would solve like hunger for three years or something. Right. <laughs> like all those terrible stats. But, but I mean, it, okay, so it does bring up the tension question, which is what, if God is a God of abundance and God is a God of provision, then why and do I think some people not have enough? Let me tell you a right. story to kind of get to what, what I think about this a little bit. But so I, you, nobody can see me except for you, but I have a lot of tattoos and um, it's just one of my things. I love it. And I've gotten to be really good friends with my tattoo artist. Now she's not a person of faith. She's like proclaimed, you know, definitively atheist. Um, Yet my tattoos have like biblical slash theological significance to them. Right. right. And so um, I'm really open with her about it. Like it's, it's, I don't know, sometimes. How can you not be? She's literally putting them on you. Yeah. Right. And, and I just think like people have different thoughts about their, their friends who are atheist or agnostic, you know, so, you know, you do you, you have to just kind of feel it out. I don't want to be offensive to somebody, but at the same time, I just feel like, can we just be ourselves, you know? And she always talks about how, um, like, like one time she was telling me about a story about how she knew somebody for a little while. And then after a little bit, she noticed that he had these business cards and they had a Jesus fish on them. And what bothered her was not that he was a Christian. What bothered her (laughs) was not that he was a Christian, but that he wasn't upfront about it. Like, she's just like, that's just weird. I'm telling you who I am. Like, why would that be? This is like such a clear thing enough to you. This is enough of your identity that you put the Igthus on your, on your business business card, card, but you wouldn't, we wouldn't know that in a relationship. And so she said to me, she's like, it's not that I don't, it's not that I have any problem necessarily with somebody sharing who they are and what their faith is. She said, I just don't like the sneaky Jesus fish. (laughs) And I was just like, oh my gosh. And she said, She's like, can you just tell your people to stop it with the sneaky Jesus fish? <laughs> I was like, yeah. Well, that'll preach, right? Them. That turns into a whole sermon series. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll tell them the sneaky Jesus fish. Like, just be yourself. Like, we're all like wanting people. If you want other people to be authentic with you, like be authentic with them. So I'm authentic with her yeah, about yeah. what my faith means. And we've had some great, I mean, you know, I've been spent a lot of hours with her since I have nearly two entire sleeves on my arms. So we spent a lot of time together and we've had a lot of conversations that I could tell you stories about. That's just one. But this story comes down to me telling her. So what I tell, so what happens is I come and I just tell her like a picture of what I want. Like I don't show her really anything. It's just like a description. And then she's the one that draws like what she interprets as that. Oh, so yeah. I tell her, I, I want, um, as my sleeve is going up my arm, I would like to have something that represents the part of Exodus where the people woke up every day and had to trust God for direction. Right. So yeah. there was a cloud by day and a fire by night. And so she comes back with this like really sweet, like moon with fire around it. And then this cloud with like the sunbeams coming from it and the, the cloud by day and the fire by night, because the people would, if the, if the cloud or the fire moved, they would follow it. And if it didn't move, they would stay. Yep. And I was like, that's, and she's like, you know, why do you want that? And I said, cause that's like life. Like I want to know what's the next five things that, <laughs> that the fire pillar is going to do. So I know, you know, but the idea that you have to trust God every day and like decide you can't actually decide what we're doing tomorrow. Like you've got 
to stay open to the spirit. And, you know, so I told her that, well, between the time I told her about that and she was working on the drawing and I came back, she says to me, well, I was reading Exodus. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I just really feel like, um, this story, there should be manna in the story. And I was like, okay, go on. <laughs> and she's like, well, that's like this bread, right? From heaven. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, I don't really know like how I would tattoo that because like, I think that if it was falling from the sky, it would kind of look like dandruff maybe. And she you probably don't want like, that on your arm. No, she's like, and I, I don't know like what manna really looked like. She's like, I think it maybe looked like a cross between like a cracker and some bread and like the, the flakes that make instant mashed potatoes. <laughs> so she said, nice. <laughs> I was like, There's that's a visual. how I'd picture it too. But then she just said, you know, maybe I thought maybe we could do like baskets with the mana in the baskets because that would be more clear that that's like something in the basket. And then she goes, and she's Korean and she's like so into, she's very passionate about racial justice. So she just goes, but there's no way that I'm going to put baskets on you that look like it could be baskets of cotton or something like that. Like that's not going to fly. Yeah. And I just, I just always just try to, like I said, just be authentic with her. So I said, well, here's the thing. We can't do the baskets anyway, because the point was that the people didn't collect it in the baskets because they needed to yep. trust that God was going to give it to them every day. And so actually like depicting the basket is, is the opposite of what I'm going for, which is how yep. do I symbolize trusting God on a daily basis? And I, then I, then I just kept talking. Cause this is what I do. I just kept see what comes out. And I just you said, as you know, a pastor, you talk for a living, just start talking. You never know. There you and go. I just said, I said, you know, I just think that there's actually a pretty, pretty good connection there with what we're talking about in the sense that, you know, the reason that we wouldn't want baskets of cotton because they represent slavery and human beings being taken advantage of to collect this material need for people is the same at the root. It's the same issue because when you don't trust God, to meet the needs that you have, then you will take advantage of other people. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. not just like, yep. if we shared more, people would have what they need. You're, you're actually like participating in the, taking the advantage of people and then they don't have enough. And so you're, you're, I said like the, the baskets of cotton are the same result as, as the baskets of manna. It's this lack of trusting God. And every time you don't, you really believe that there's not enough, then yeah. you take advantage of other people. Yep. And that's why some people don't have enough because yeah. human beings have chosen to take advantage of each other because we didn't trust God. And mm -hmm. you see some of that throughout the Exodus story too, but you see how that's played out in this brokenness. And so, you know, when I'm a little kid, I want to believe like God will meet your needs every single day. And that's good. But as an adult who's traveled to, you know, the largest refugee camp in the world, like what does that mean? Like some of these folks didn't get their needs met. So they didn't live like what? So how do you wrestle with this truth yet, you know, feels the tension of the, you know, I'm sure you've used this term before, but the already, but not yet reality yeah. of like, this is how God created it. And God does meet your needs. You all keep yourselves from that need actually reaching everyone. Yeah. So yeah. That, that meeting that need reaching everybody. Of course, she was just like, wait, what? That's what it's about. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I mean, they, like these people literally were just the oppressed people and they just got out from that. And then they turn around without trust again. And it's the cycle. It's a cycle of humans. Once again, let's not celebrate the humans as the main characters because it's a cycle of humans saying, well, but probably not enough then, right? Like, so I probably can't trust this. And it's only a matter of time before that's going to mean 
scarcity, that your lack of abundance mindset from God means that your scarcity mindset is going to take advantage of other people. Right. And it's not just about maggots in the tent. Like it's about maggots in society that are. Yes. Yes. You're talking about a systemic story and no longer just an individual story. You're talking about a story that goes from God provides for those in need to a story about economic justice or injustice, Mm -hmm. right? And like, that's a massive story. And how amazing that the Bible has this amazing story about economic injustice and God saying, no, there's a better way of doing economic justice. And we could actually do this really well if you understood like how this whole thing works. And, And here we have it, right? And then we see Jesus embody it. And then we as the church are called to be like Christ-like. I mean, that's the name Christian, right? To be like Christ, which is to be people that embody economic justice and embody the flourishing of all humans. I mean, go back to the original call of Father Abraham. You're to be a blessing to every nation, not just the nation of Israel. Everybody else should be blessed because of you. Well, how? Because I'm going to help you model how to exist in the world with an abundance mindset, not scarcity. That alone would transform everything. I mean, why do we have wars? Why do we have the tension that we do? Why do we have the food injustice that we have? Boom. It's right there. It's, it's 4,000 years old, right? I mean, it's, yep. it's nothing yep. new and it's something that we still have to learn. Right. Right. So, you know, I think you take this systemic question and then you do turn it to yourself as an individual and yes. just like, really think if it were you, would you come out of that situation truly thinking, I don't, I'm, I trust now that I'm going to have all my needs met after being enslaved and having being in such a difficult situation. And I think we can all say like on an individual level, most of us would struggle with that at least most days. Mm-hmm. And that that's part of what leads to the systemic continuation of all yes. of this and and why we find ourselves in the same spot over and over. And so you see Jesus trying to flip that script again with feeding the 5,000. Of course, the disciples are there like, wait, hold on. Like Jesus says, you feed them. And they're like, I mean, it doesn't right. put it this way, but that the question had to be, but then what are we going to eat? Like <laughs> you're right, telling right. us to not, wait a second, don't we give them what, after we have enough, if there's some left over. And then they basically say there isn't enough, you know, which there isn't technically in the moment besides the miraculous, but like that tendency again, to be like, but I've got to start with myself and like, make sure that I have what I need all the time yeah. and not seeing it as there's enough to share. And they have Jesus standing right there with them. Similar to today now you know, you see Jesus in the, in the last supper saying like that my body given for you is this daily bread and is the like bread of life is, and we, we now symbolically in the, you know, sacrament of communion, like remember that, that reality, um, and that God provided so much through Jesus life, death and resurrection and what he accomplished on the cross. Yet here we are today still deciding like, but that's only for some people. (laughs) But that's only for some people like, like the disciples are like, uh, maybe if there's enough for us and here we are still seeing like the bread of life. Well, only if we like, we want to make sure that we've got it all right. And we have what we think our grace is and what we think God wants for us. But probably it doesn't cover you and you and you over here. Cause you don't quite have this right. And you don't think the same thing as we do about this. And yeah, once we have a scarcity mindset about the actual bread of life, right? (laughs) That's nuts. Right. Let, a, let alone we have a scarcity mindset about bread. We have a scarcity mindset about the way in which we distribute bread to of, yeah, the communion bread. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like what it means for 
Jesus to be everybody's that wants to be a part of who, you know, yeah. of his life and, and I love that relationship. I love framing the Eucharist communion, the Lord's supper as it's an invitation into participation. Like yeah. you're being invited to participate in what God is up to. And God is up to justice and love and forgiveness is into healthy relational dynamics is into Shalom. I mean, it's just like, are you, do you want to participate in that? And if you don't like, okay, cool. Greed. You can have that, right. You can choose to go down that path. doesn't lead to anything really healthy, uh, but you can do it. But if you want to participate in, in a, in a kingdom that says there's more than enough, we just got to learn to have justice economically, relationally, religiously. We have to figure out what it means to be people of reconciliation and, and wholeness and Shalom. Then we can, we can do that. And, and I think, you know, I love how you said, yes, there's a big systemic issue. And the question has to become, well, how do I make it personal? And, and I think that is the challenge for so many people is, is seeing, well, what could I in myself possibly do in the face of economic injustice? I can't do anything this moment, seemingly for the largest refugee camp in the world. I don't even know how I can help someone down the street from me effectively let alone someone that I'll never meet. Like how do, does me going to a restaurant or me ordering this or me going to the grocery store, how is that affecting other people around our globe? And, and what can I possibly do to make a difference? And, and there's not like a perfect simple, like, oh, Pastor Steph and Jason have the, have the solution for you. We figured it all out. <laughs> um, but it, it takes you waking up to the reality of it. That's step yeah. one. Like, yeah. do you even realize that there's a scarcity mindset that is perpetuating our existence and we need to change that mindset. I think that's the first thing we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. And also just recognize, like, if this has been a systemic issue for 4,000 years, it's going to be for the next however many. And that's part of the tension that we hold in the already but not yet kingdom that mm-hmm. that when we participate in, um, you know, righting a wrong. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, my church is involved in food insecurity. So we we started a nonprofit that now is much far, much eclipsed us is much larger than the church, but, um, helps cover the weekend food gap for kids at school. You know, they have got food at school, but they're coming back Monday hungry. And so now, you know, there's 280 schools in Minneapolis and St. Paul and Minnesota surrounding area where kids get an option to have food on the weekend because of this every meal organization. Um, but you know what, like those kids are hungry next week and then they're hungry the week after that. And while there are some efforts that every meal is making to work through systemic poverty at the end of the day, like they're meeting an emergency need. Cause if a child doesn't know if they have enough food, that's an emergency. That's yep. not their choice. Yes. And that's that emergency is probably not going to be going anywhere anytime soon, but every child that has food that wouldn't otherwise have it is a, I would say is like a foretaste of the kingdom of abundance. And yeah. that foretaste is not to be the kingdom itself period at the end of the sentence it's like the kingdom dot 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 there's this is what this looks like except they never go hungry again yeah and so it's gonna leave us in a place of longing and if you're not in a place of longing consistently like do we believe that the kingdom of god is something bigger than we see right now right being a jesus follower means you're in a consistent place of having to remind yourself trust god for today but also long for more tomorrow right not more manna like more of what God can do in the kingdom, big picture, yeah. and that being our future hope. And so if the goal was to right all the wrongs ourselves as human beings in this time, it's going to fail. <laughs> like This is not a, you know, like humans can fix these problems. It's that 
we get to join God in that work now as a foretaste of the future when all of those things will be, will be healed. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you can see why that's discouraging sometimes. Cause it would just be easier if we could eradicate blank, you know, and I get that that would be a really fun goal, but we aren't God and we've yeah. got to trust God. And if people were to just say on a daily basis, I'm going to ask the question, what has God invited me into when it comes to this? Yep. It's not going to be to solve homelessness in your city. It's not going to be to end child poverty. That's not real, but there'll be something that God will invite you into every single day. Yep. If you ask that question. Yeah. And, and are you humble enough to let that be something that nobody ever knows and nobody ever sees? And maybe they do. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong to share that story, but that it's not going to be something that makes the front page of, you know, yeah. we ended, we ended poverty. It's going to make a huge difference to that person that day. And it's yeah. going to remind them that they're not alone and, and help them feel seen. And if you can be a part of just changing the trajectory of one family or one situation, or, you know, yep. We've got to let go of the bigger, better thing, because while it's good to think, how can we make it systemic changes? It's so it lacks integrity when there's not the changes that we can participate in on a daily basis. Yeah. So it's got to be both. Yeah. And. It's got to be both. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I, and I love that you're saying it's got to be that both. And because I think if we're not asking the initial question of what's God calling me to today, then then we're, we're just going to sit on the sideline and live with more of a scarcity mindset because we're just not even entertaining the idea that things should be better than this. But right. I think once we get involved in that work, it it hopefully will challenge some people, especially those if they have access to different realms realms of influence, to say, wait, why does this problem exist? Right. Right. And it's one thing for us to say, what am I what am I called to in this moment? Then then okay, what what is this problem? And why and is there something that we can do? You know, and maybe it not eradicate but maybe incrementally make change, right? Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. and get involved in different forms of, you know, whether it's government or policy or what, whatever, like there's yeah. ways that we can get involved if we start asking the right question, yeah. as opposed to um, not even recognizing that there's a question to be asked. And so, and it's an amazing feeling to be a part of that because it's a foretaste of what yep. God cares about. Like it, it's yeah. an experience of that. It's, and it's, and guess what, when you focus on like sacrificial generosity and like being about your neighbor you're not as consumed with your own anxiety of the scarcity. You're just right. not, you know, yeah. like I'm not yeah. saying like, don't attend to your bank account. I'm just saying that if you're like, if I'm, my main focus is figuring out how I can be a part of changing the housing situation, even in small ways in my city, or, you know, being somebody who helps get clean water in parts of the world, you just, your, your brain and your heart is more full of that than the worries of, yeah. will I have enough all the time? Um, because like Jesus said, you can't, by worrying about that, it's not going to keep, not going to change the situation. So right. <laughs> Pastor Steph, we took the story of manna from heaven and got into a whole host of really wonderful topics. And I can imagine we've stirred up some, some good things for people to be thinking about and processing. I hope that people revisit chapter 16 of Exodus and take a look at what God is up to. And and, you know, I have a friend who likes to call the Bible. It has all these hyperlinks, right? You go to one thing and it leads you down other paths. And so we've hyperlinked over to, you know, the earlier story of Exodus. We've hyperlinked to the story of creation in Genesis 1. We've hyperlinked to Jesus and the 5,000. We've hyperlinked to the Last Supper and to the building of God's kingdom. There's so many different places that we've gone to um, that I, I hope people get an opportunity to really wrestle and to think critically about um, what God is up to in our world and, and how we can find hope even in the smallest ways um, and in the, and in the biggest questions. And so yeah. Steph, thanks for, for joining me on this. Can you 
tell us a little bit about where people can connect to the work that you're doing and uh, some of the things that you've done. You can, I, I'm Pastor Steph on all the, all the socials, um, mostly on Instagram is where I spend most of my time um, uh, taking weird videos of my husband, who's really strange and other things that I find interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can connect with me there. Um, the rest of the information about my books and everything's at pastorsteph.com. And yeah, Mill City Church um, can find us anywhere. And um, yeah, would love to connect with people. Awesome. And I'll make sure to put some of that in the show notes as usual. And so yeah. thanks again for joining me on Deconstructing the Bible. Thanks for having me.